Hi, this is Bill Arnold. Missed a show or need me talking to help you sleep tonight? I have several solutions to that situation. Here are the podcasts from the show. You are the best for listening and supporting Faith Radio. Welcome to the afternoon show with me. I'm Bill Arnold. Looking forward to this hour ahead because my friend and Bible mentor and teacher, Jeff Verdorn, is going to be joining me. The question I have for you to contemplate today is, what does it mean to be an ambassador for Christ? I know in a a letter to the Corinthians, Paul was talked about the ministry of reconciliation, and he used that term, ambassadors for Christ— So all this is from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation, that God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting men's sins against them. And he has committed to us the message of reconciliation. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors as though God were making his appeal through us. So that's out of 2 Corinthians chapter 5. And we're going to talk about exactly uh, what does it mean Uh, to be an ambassador and how that ties into reconciliation and kind of the world we're living in today and how that might be more important now than ever before. Jeff uh, is coming to us live today from the beautiful state of Arizona. Jeff, welcome. Hi, Bill. Nice to have you here. I know you're getting uh, away from the Minnesota winter, so good for you. I heard you guys got some snow last night. That's what they call it. And I heard (laughs) you got some sunshine today. You know, it's sunny just about every day here, yeah. although we did get a little little drizzle last night. Just Boo, boo-hoo. You had me, then you lost me. Uh, <laughs> I know. It's a beautiful spot. I, yeah. I very much, we've been coming down to Arizona for about 20 years. That's so. really nice. Well, let's jump into this conversation, and maybe we can start with uh, just maybe the current situation in the world, because, you know, if we're going to be ambassadors through reconciliation, that's a big job out there. Oh, my goodness. And what a year it's been, hasn't it? Amazing. We have... It's, it's really, in so many ways, just unprecedented uh, what our nation, what the world really is going through. I mean, we've had this global pandemic, COVID pandemic. We've had global lockdowns. We've got, you know, 7 billion people wearing masks, uh, businesses closing, churches closing, mm-hmm. right? I mean, uh, you know, there's been some pastors that basically said, we're staying open and, uh, you know, if, if I'm arrested, so be it. I've always wanted a prison ministry, right? <laughs> uh, even, even while liquor stores have been um, considered essential businesses and casinos and strip clubs and they stay open, governments, which, by the way, have, have had unprecedented emergency powers, basically, since this whole thing started. Um, you know, st- governors have declared states of emergencies and have basically made a lot of these executive by uh, these mandates by executive orders. These did not go. These orders have not been through legislatures. They've not been voted upon by a house and a Senate and passed as a bill and signed by the governor. These have been executive orders under emergency powers, unprecedented. Mm -hmm. Um, And now of course we've got this election, which is pretty much unlike anything we've seen before. Um, And in addition to that censorship across a digital platform, I mean, the president, the sitting president of the United States has been 
basically deleted off of about a dozen different platforms. Um, one commentator I was reading said, it's kind of like we've become a silicone curtain. Remember the iron curtain of mm -hmm. days gone by, they described it as the silicone curtain where they're silencing conservatives and Christians and politicians. And uh, yeah, it's, it's just, it seems like the world has been turned upside down, hasn't it? Mm -hmm. Sure does. And I've, been asked, so I've been teaching about the end times for about 20 years, and there are people coming up in my classes, a couple different classes that I teach, is, is this the end? Hmm. Are we in the end? I'm beginning to wonder myself I, if, uh, if we're rapidly approaching this time of the end. But uh, um, I, I think as Christians, whatever age we live in, I think it's ultimately uh, important to remember a simple kind of truth. Paul lived in the first century. His government, uh, Israel, of his country, was occupied by a foreign power, Rome. And the leader of Rome demanded to be worshipped as a god, right? There is mm -hmm. no god but Caesar. And yet in that environment, Paul still th said things like, I give thanks in all circumstances, right? Remember, First Thessalonians 5, 16 through mm -hmm. 18, Paul says, Be joyful always, pray continually, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. In fact, I remember one commentator proclaiming that in the first century, Christians never said, oh, what is this world coming to? No, they proclaimed who has come into this world. And wow, that was always the mission of the church. Yeah, isn't that? Oh, it's powerful, yeah. C.S. Lewis, um, at the mid of, middle of the last century, during the kind of the birth of the atomic age, I want to read a quote from him. He wrote this in 1948, and I think it really applies to us, well, to Christians of any age for that matter. He said this, listen to this, in one way we think a great deal too much of the atomic bomb. Now, it had just come on the scene, right, but replace the atomic bomb with Whatever the current you know situation is in the world today, we got a COVID pandemic worldwide. How are we to live in this age, in the atomic age? I'm tempted to reply, why, as you would have lived in the 16th century when the plagues visited London almost every year, or as you would have lived in the Viking age when raiders from Scandinavia might land and cut your throats at night. Oh, there's a pleasant thought, huh? Or indeed, as you already live in an age of cancer paralysis, in air raids, in railway accidents, and in the age of motor vehicle accidents. In other words, do not let us begin by exaggerating the novelty of our situation. Believe me, dear sir or madam, you and all whom you love were already sentenced to death long before the atomic bomb was invented, hmm. and a quite high percentage of us were going to die in unpleasant ways. In fact, it's pretty much 100% as far as I know. It is perfectly ridiculous to go about whimpering and drawing long faces because the scientists have added one more chance of painful and premature death to a world which already bristles with such chances and in which death itself was not a chance at all, but a certainty. And in fact, isn't that why Christ came into the world? He came into the world, the righteous for the unrighteous, the one who was out sin to conquered death once and for all. Remember what scripture says, the grave could not hold him. Death could not contain him. 
if you believe in Christ Jesus, you have overcome the world and death, and you now have an inheritance that is what God says is kept in heaven for us, shielded by God's power until the day of redemption. If there's one kind of thought today that I want to get across is that nothing can touch your inheritance in Christ Jesus. In fact, Paul says in Hebrews 13, he says, so we say with confidence, the Lord is my helper. I will not be afraid. What can mere man do to me? And the answer is really on an eternal scale, nothing. Now, sure, the world can destroy the body, right? Mm -hmm. The world can kill believers. Believers have been killed and persecuted and, and struck down, but not destroyed, as Paul says. We have an inheritance. I've read the back of the book, Bill. We win. God wins in the end. So, But I hear all the time, but, but Jeff, look what's happening to America. We're no longer a Christian nation. And first of all, remember the conversation with Jesus and Peter, and Jesus says, and the gates of Hades will not prevail against it, right? He's talking about there the church, not the United States of America. Um, I've got news for a lot of people. God never promises to preserve and protect the United States of America. He said, and on this statement, the confession of Peter, I will build my church and the gates of Hades will not prevail against my church. But of individual countries, except actually for Israel, I'll make that caveat, he makes no such promise. Secondly, I'd like to point out that were we ever a Christian nation? Were we ever a nation? I, I know that we were founded by Christian men. I know that we were founded on Christian principles. But if we were actually a Christian nation, that would make us a theocracy. A theocracy is a government that um, its leaders are, are, are seen as deities in some way, um, or, or the, the deity or that rule, that, that religion is considered the supreme civil rule or authority. Um, and that's not what we were founded upon. In fact, we, uh, we were founded as, as a republic. I don't know if you've ever remembered, I can't remember if we talked about this, but Benjamin Franklin, it was reported, was walking out of Independence Hall when our convention had just passed the Constitution. This is 1787, when someone, a woman, reportedly said, Doctor, what have we got, a republic or a monarchy? To which Franklin supposedly responded, uh, a republic, ma'am, if you can keep it. Now, we've been able to keep that republic for 250 years, but there's no guarantees that, uh, that that's going to continue. So uh, as Christians, I think we absolutely should be praying that we do continue as this republic. I get we were founded by many, many Christians on many Christian principles. Christianity has, has had an, a significant influence on our history over the last 250 years. Um, but you know what? In reality... This battle of who's going to influence um, our republic, uh, Christian, the Christian voice, if you will, or the pagan voice, the secular voice, if you will, has actually been going on since the very beginning. Um, I'm, I collect some coins. I love the Morgan silver dollars. Uh, it's just a cool coin. It's a $1 coin. It has real silver in it. They're kind of cool. And I collect some of them. And I, I've 
discovered that there was a time when our coins did not have the phrase in God we trust, but it was there was an, actually an act by Congress in 1865 to put the phrase in God we trust on all of our coins. And in fact, the treasurer at the time of the United States says no nation can be strong except in the strength of God or safe except in his defense. Listen to these words, he said, the trust of our people in God should be declared on our national coins. And so they put on the coins, in God we trust. He feared that the nation was turning away from God and basically wanted to remind our country in some way by putting it on our coins, that it's in God that we trust. Mm -hmm. All right, Jeff, let me take a little break. Jeff Redorn's my guest. And uh, if you have any uh, questions or things you want clarified, you can always text me. You know that, 877-933-2484. Be right back. for Christ. We're setting the stage for talking about that. We're just kind of navigating our way through some of our past history. And uh, Jeff, I think you've got a quote from Reagan you wanted to share as well as we get back into this. I do. You know, I'm not a bumper sticker guy, but if I had one bumper sticker, I think something like this would be it. Reagan once said famously, if we ever forget that we are one nation under God, then we will be a nation gone under. Hmm. I love that quote. It says a lot. It reminds us of our history, our founding, the principles in which they are based. Uh, but it's also a warning, right? And as we kick God out of our schools, out of our public squares, I, I, there's going to be consequences. Um, you know, God says, blessed is the nation whose God is the Lord. And if we kick God out to, to, to some extent, I think there's going to be some consequences on the United States. You know, I, I read a report, there was a report issued um, to a, a Senate committee a few years back, and it talked about uh, examples of religious persecution in our country. And I think most Americans would be shocked at, at the hundreds and hundreds of items that are in there. There's one particular case that I just find disturbing. It was in Orange County, Florida, and a fourth grader, fourth grader, from Columbia Elementary, his name was Joshua. He had his Bible sitting on his desk. It was confiscated by the teacher. When he asked her why, she said it was a matter of separation of church and state. Right? You hear that phrase all the time. Mm. She also told him that if she caught him again with his Bible, she would report him to the principal. Well, the next day, this young man, Joshua, brought another Bible, and, and several students threatened to turn him in. And, uh, and actually, it was a third time that he brought up the, that Bible was taken away. And then a third time he, he had a Bible taken away from him. The principal uh, called him in, and, and for an hour, the principal and the guidance uh, and a lawyer interrogated <laughs> Joshua uh, about, without contacting his parents, about what he has done and why he can't do that. There is nothing in any law or in our Constitution that says you cannot bring a Bible to school. 
Um, this report had hundreds of these examples, Bill. I mean, mm -hmm. uh, there was an example in St. Louis where a young, uh, uh, like fourth, fifth grader, I can't remember what, what he was, was caught praying over his lunch. And at, as punishment, he was lifted from his seat, reprimanded in front of his, all of his classmates, and ordered never to pray over his lunch again in school. These kinds of things are happening in our country, and I just think they're, they're kind of frightening. Yeah, they are. But to, yeah. Today, I mean, boy, I mean, this cancel culture thing that we're seeing, mm -hmm. where if you don't have the accepted views, um, you're, you're just getting canceled. You, it, on online, on, on all these groups, Facebook, Twitter, YouTube, and so on, uh, there's originally this thing called shadow banning, where they didn't really tell you you're being banned, but your posts and your videos and so on would not show up in anybody's feed. Well, now they've moved to outright deletion of accounts, thousands, tens of thousands of, account, of accounts that uh, simply were supportive of President Trump or were conservative in general or Christian specifically have been deleted off of these platforms. Um, and it's, you know, it's, it's, we, we, we have a first amendment for a reason to protect people's right to have differences of opinion. Um, and I think that's important for all of America to remember. Uh, but, you know, we have been declining. We have been kicking God out. Uh, there was a report by the American Enterprise Institute of religion in America and, and their, their findings this year were, were basically a lot of people reported this, that religion in America has been on the decline. The number of Americans that have uh, reported of going to religious services has fallen from the 60s to today, so over the last 50, 60 years, from about 50% to about 35%. And those that identify or, or count themselves as part of some religious body or another has fallen from 75% to 62%. Mm -hmm. um, so the importance of religion, the importance of Christianity has been declining in America. Now, really quick, before we jump into our ambassadors, there's one more kind of aspect I wanted to talk about. And that is, well, how do we respond? How does the church respond to the decline of faith, of Christianity, in the country in which we reside? Because if you know the, the church, the church as a whole around the world isn't in decline. In fact, the church in China is growing rapidly. Uh, in a number of places around the world, it's growing rapidly. In the United States, yes, it's declining. So what do we do? What should be our reaction? Well, some Christians want to say, well, it's, we need to take back America for Christ. Like this is the objective or the mission of the church is to take back a government, right? Generally speaking, this is called dominionism. It's, it says that the church is responsible for taking over authority and power and the seats of power all over uh, in order to, some believe, usher in the second coming of Christ. Um, well, I believe that he's going to usher in his coming when he comes. Amen. So, <laughs> Amen. Yeah. Two, I think some Christians just say, well, I, I don't want to say anything. I, I just, you know, we shouldn't talk about religion. We shouldn't talk about politics. Religion is a private matter, so let's just not say anything. Well, I don't know about that. Some say, well, because we're kicking God out, God's going to rain down judgment on America and that he's going to judge us in some way, shape, or form. Well, I don't know if that's coming or not. 
Um, there's only one judgment that I know that's coming, and that's at the back of the book, right, when Christ returns, and he judges all the nations of the world, not just our nation. He mm -hmm. judges all the, the world for sin. And then finally, there are many who declare that we're going to have a revival of some sort in our nation. Um, and boy, I hope that's true, but I just don't see that in Scripture. In fact, I don't know that we know what's going to happen good or bad, between now and when Jesus re decides to come back. Mm -hmm. I really don't know, right? I don't know if things are going to get considered. Some say things are going to get much better as we usher in the era of Christ and his reign. Others say that it's going to get much worse um, as we the apostasy and we fall away and things are going to get worse and worse and worse right up until the rapture of the church. Um, boy, I just don't know. I know a lot of things that happen in the end times. I don't know anything that says what's going to happen between today and the rapture of the church. Mm -hmm. So what is the true mission of the church? I got another quote here I, I want to read. This is from a guy by the name of Clarence Larkin. And he lived about 100 years ago. And he has a great little paragraph here on the mission of the church. He says that the church is not a reform bureau to save the bodies of men. The reformation of men is very commendable, as are all forms of social service. But that is not the work or mission of the church. The world was just as full, if not fuller, of the evils that afflict society today in the days of Christ. But he never, nor did his apostles, organize any reform agencies, what we'd call nonprofits today, I guess. He knew that the source of evils in this world was sin. And the only way to eradicate sin is to regenerate the human heart. And so he gave the world the gospel. And the mission of the church is to carry the gospel to the whole world. The purpose of the gospel in this dispensation, in this time, is not to save society, but to save individual members that are to comprise the body of Christ, the church. That's the mission of the church. That's a great Isn't quote. That cool? oh, it's outstanding. So, Jeff, we're coming up against a hard break. So why don't we uh, set the stage for uh, the characteristics of what an ambassador is? And I know you've got lots of scripture and a, a great way of sharing that. So we will uh, take a little break. And then when we come back, we will talk about the characteristics of an ambassador. Sound like a good plan? Perfect, Bill. Thanks. Good deal. Yeah, Jeff Redorn's my guest. And if you have any uh, questions or anything you'd like clarified, you know, you can always text me, 877-933-2484. Otherwise, we'll be right back with Jeff in just a minute.
right, we're back with Jeff Redorn. We're talking about uh, the characteristics of an ambassador, the ambassadors for Christ. All right, Jeff, let's get started. Well, first of all, I think that we have to understand 1 Peter 2.11 says, I urge you as aliens and strangers in this world to abstain from your sinful desires. Hebrews says basically the same thing, that they, these all these hall of faith people that are in Hebrews chapter 11, admitted that they were aliens and strangers in this world. So first we need to recognize that, that we are not in this world, we're in the world, but we're not of the world, Christians will say. So we are aliens and strangers. Second, if this isn't our home, well, then what is our home? Philippians 3 tells us where our home is, but our citizenship is in heaven, and we eagerly await a Savior from there, the Lord Jesus Christ. Um, I think there are many Americans who think they're going to get into heaven because they grew up in in America, and they're Christian because they went to Christmas and Easter, and they don't understand that that's not what gets you into heaven. It's faith in Christ that gets you into heaven. But if you have put your faith in Christ, then you are what I like to call a heavenonian. <laughs> yeah. Your, your first citizenship, right, is not as an American. Your first citizenship is as a heavenonian. Now, I have a good pastor friend who likes to say heavenites, but I, I kind of like heavenonians better. Don't mm-hmm. you like, yeah, both like work. Uh, it is. So that's where our true citizenship is. So if our citizenship is in heaven, that, you know, the Lord is our king, that's our kingdom, a heavenly kingdom, but we are down in this earth as strangers and aliens, as foreigners in this world. Well, that's where Paul, God in his word, Paul primarily, starts describing us as believers, as ambassadors. So what's an ambassador? An ambassador is someone that one nation assigns or appoints to go to another land and represent their home kingdom or home country. So 2 Corinthians 5.17, I think this is the passage that you read at the start of the show. We, Paul says this, we are therefore Christ's ambassadors as though God were making his appeal through us. We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. Ephesians 6, he says it the same things. He says, whenever I open my mouth, words might be given to me so that I might fearlessly make known the gospel for which I am an ambassador in chains. Pray that I might declare it fearlessly as I should. That passage always reminds me because I think a lot of Christians have fear about proclaiming the gospel to others. And just so you know, Paul also asked for prayer so that he might proclaim it fearlessly. So what are the what are the characteristics of an ambassador? I want to walk through what what are the characteristics of an earthly ambassador and compare it to really what we are as a ambassador from heaven. So first, number 1. So I think I have 12 points here. First, an ambassador did not appoint himself but is appointed by the president or the king of his country. Isn't that exactly what God says we are? That we, if if you belong to the world, it would love you as its own. As it is, you did not belong to this world, but I have chosen you out of this world. In fact, that is what the concept of being holy, the Greek word hagios, is all about. We've been set apart for God's purposes. 
we've been called by God to be his, his uh, ambassador, his mouthpiece to, to make, for God to make his appeal through us, as Paul said. In fact, that's what that chosen, when God says we're chosen, electos, that's what that Greek word means. We're his called out ones. We've been called out as ambassadors from a foreign land, heaven, to be ambassadors in this world as strangers and aliens. Cool. All right, number two. Sorry. No, no, I just agree. Okay, good. (laughs) We do not become citizens of the country that God assigns us to. All right, so if you're an ambassador from America and you go to France, for example, you don't become a French citizen, right? You're still a United States citizen. In the same way, even though we're living in the United States, we are still heavenonians no matter what country God assigns us to Mm. as ambassadors. Mm -hmm. Number three, we speak only what our president or our king wants us to say. We don't speak on our own will. We don't make up our own policies and decide what we're going to say. No, we speak the words that are given to us by our king, by our president. So Jesus says this perfectly. I do not speak in my own accord, but the father who sent me commanded me what to say and how to say it. So Jesus, as the perfect ambassador, if you will, spoke only that which God wanted. And so should we. Number four. Jeff, just I want to make sure we're clarifying this because, you know, we're you're talking about that an ambassador cannot appoint himself. He's appointed. We're talking about an earthly ambassador. So um, I think when you're talking about the role of an ambassador in an earthly manner, that ambassador does speak uh, not on his own behalf, but on the authority of the leadership that he serves. Right. Absolutely. So when yeah. when you say you we only say what the president wants us to say, I, if someone just got in their car and heard that, uh, that would be very confusing to them. So I just want to make sure that we're using that as an earthly example, and that yes. as citizens, citi- what what do you call it again? Citizens of heaven, heavenonians. Heavy, yeah, heavenonians. As heavenonians, we only uh, we come under the authority of our king, and then we we speak and say what. And serve him. There you go. Absolutely. Okay. Perfect. I just wanted yes. to clear that up. I yeah, feel sorry for the person that just, just climbed in their car and said, what did I just hear? I know. Well, I figure anybody who climbs in their car will hear this and go home and listen to the whole thing, right? That's, That's what you would hope. Yeah. yeah I, or turn it off and uh, never, never listen again. There you go. Yeah. Number four. As an ambassador in a foreign land in this world, the ambassador enjoys what's called diplomatic immunity. In other words, they are not subject to the laws of the country that they are in. Hmm, interesting. It is. Paul says in Colossians this, it it's, it's basically describes an ambassador perfectly. Since you died with Christ to the principles of this world, why, as though you still belong to it, do you submit to its rules? In other words, God says we're free, free to do all things, he says. We have our freedom in this world, and we don't need to submit to the rules of the world. But that gets to our next point. Number five, however, says, but we should follow the laws in the country that we are in. Even though we aren't under their authority, we are to submit to that authority 
And hopefully if we have time at the end, I want to read Romans 13, where God says we should submit to the governing authorities that are over us because they've been instituted by God. Um, so even though we have diplomatic immunity, item number four, number five says we should submit. We should come under their authority. We should render unto Caesars what is Caesars. We should be good citizens. We should pay our taxes and so forth. Number six, a good ambassador should be gracious in speech and humble and an effective communicator. So Paul says this, and I'm sorry, Peter says this in 1 Peter. He says, but in your hearts, set apart Christ as Lord. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks for the reason for the hope that you have. We should be effective communicators of God's truth and be prepared to give an account for the hope that we have in him. Number six. All right, number seven. A good ambassador understands that any insults or persecution that he receives is really not directed at him, but at his president or king or his country, right? So when an ambassador is attacked in a foreign land, they're really not attacking that person individually. He's just the representative of his homeland. So in Matthew 5, says Jesus says in, in his Sermon on the Mount, blessed are those, are the Beatitudes, blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Remember, if you are being insulted or attacked or persecuted because you're a Christian, they're not attacking you. They're really attacking Christ. Mm -hmm. okay. Number eight. Anything an ambassador does, an earthly ambassador does, reflects back to his president or his country. And in the same way, anything we do as ambassadors from heaven reflects back to our king. So Peter says in 1 Peter 2, live such good lives amongst the pagans that though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day he visits us. And that's exactly what Jesus said. On, again, in the Beatitudes, let your light shine before men that they may see your good deeds and praise your Father in heaven. We should be the type of residents in our country that are above reproach, where we live good lives. Mm -hmm. Because when we do wrong, when we do bad, it reflects back on our home country and our king. Number nine. We are under the protection of our home nation. I like that. Yeah. God said, never will I leave you. Never will I forsake you. And in First John, he says, you, dear children, are from God and have overcome them because the one who is in you is greater than the one who is in the world. The world can't touch us, Bill. We have a protection from, a, from our home country which is God himself who made all things. Such right? a great reminder. It is. So we have the protection of our home country. And in fact, this kind of goes right along with 10. Do I have time to do 10? Oh, yeah. Okay, so 10, an embassy. So every time you put ambassadors into a foreign country, you usually build an embassy. And that embassy is also under the protection of the home nation. And in fact, 
is considered part of that home nation. So our ambassador in France, I'm sorry, our embassy in France is actually considered U.S. soil, mm-hmm. U.S. territory. And so that's where an ambassador can go for protection uh, in that country uh, if there's you know, trouble or disturbances or whatever. In the same way, I think the church is our embassy. This is God's property. This is God's land. This is where the church comes and gathers. This is where we come and rebuild and nourish and, and, and sharpen our swords and fix that helmet, you know, the helmet of salvation and the shield of faith and the sword of the spirit. And we get our armor all polished up and ready to go back out into the world again, because that's another metaphor that God uses to describe who we are. Ambassadors is one. The other one is soldiers for Christ, right? Because it's a a nasty world out there at times mm-hmm. for Christians. So the embassy is under the protection of the home country. We are under the protection of the home country. All right, number 11. Ambassadors can be discharged from the country he is assigned to. So if you are in France, I don't know why I'm picking on France, I mean any country, and you're an ambassador there, That home country has the right to kick you out and send you back home. Well, okay, so how does the world send us back home uh, to our home country, heaven? Well, they would have to kill us, right? And we'd get sent back home Mm -hmm. to our whole home country. And, And I think that's the picture when Jesus said in Matthew 10, do not be afraid of those who can kill the body basically can kill you in this world, but be afraid rather of the one who can destroy both the body and the soul in hell, meaning the one who has authority control to control where you spend eternity. Um, There have been lots of Christians who have been martyred over the last 2,000 years, many, many, many. Mm -hmm. They've been sent home by the world where they were strangers and aliens back to their home country because they got fed up. All right, number 12. This is my favorite. This is absolutely my favorite. What does a king do or a president do right before he declares war on this foreign land? And that is he recalls his ambassadors. Before Mm. God comes down, in the end times, remember, I'm a, I love to teach on the end times, and there's going to be judgment that comes upon the world. There's going to be a seven-year tribulation period. God is going to pour out his wrath on this world and judge the world, every country, like we talked about earlier, for sin. And and what, is, what does he do before that, before he pours out his wrath? Well, I believe it, it's the rapture of the church. He calls the church home. Um, the voice of the archangel and the trumpet call of God in 1 Thessalonians 4 says the, the dead in Christ will rise first and we who remain and are alive will be caught up together in the air with, in, in the clouds and there will be with the Lord forever. Therefore, encourage one another with these words. We're going to be caught up. Jesus said, I go and prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will surely come back and take you to be where I am also. I think that's the rapture of the church. Mm. So what's the picture? God, before he pours out his wrath on the world, is going to recall all of his ambassadors home, and then he is going to wage war on the world. 
Well, that's 12 interesting points about ambassadorship. Jeff Redorn's my guest. After a short break, we'll be back with more. show. Jeff Redorn's my guest, talking about ambassadors for Christ. What does it mean to be one? You've given us a really powerful list that we can go through. And uh, let's go to Romans 13 now, Jeff. I mean, the first seven verses, I guess in a nutshell, everyone must submit himself to the governing authorities for there is no authority except that which God has established. The authorities that exist have been established by God Consequently, he who rebels against the authority is rebelling against what God has instituted, and those who do so will bring judgment on themselves. It goes on. Um, but let's let's just talk about the importance of submitting to ruling authorities per this passage. Well, I think it's, yeah, I think, it's, I think the picture is clear. So we mentioned this early, this concept of submission to the authorities that are over us. And, and did you notice that because... God is the one who instituted that authority. And it goes on to say, so if we are to rebel against the authorities as God's servant, we're actually rebelling against God. And it says that's why we pay taxes, right? Because they're God's servant who give their full time to governing. Um, so that's why Jesus in Matthew 21 also said, render under Caesar's what is Caesar's, render under God's what is God. We should be law-abiding citizens, and submit to the authority that's over us. Mm -hmm. Um, Now, I just want to interject now, as people might be hyperventilating, as there is a time (laughs) not to submit to government, and we're going to cover that as well. Absolutely. So that's obviously then the the next question, uh, because uh, Paul says it again, to be subject to rulers and authorities. Peter says, submit yourself to the Lord's sake, to every authority that's been instituted um, over you. So that's clearly the picture. But of, then, of course, the next question is exactly what you said. When not to submit to authority. We actually have just a few examples in Scripture of when righteous men did not submit to the authorities. So let's walk through a, a few of these here. Daniel is one, right? So Daniel is sitting in Babylon. He's a captive, actually. And there's a decree that comes down that you should not pray to anyone but the king. And what did Daniel do? Well, he decides he's not going to listen to that decree, and he goes into his room, faces Jerusalem, and prays three times to God. Well, we know it didn't turn out that well, right? He's thrown into the lion's den. Now, God rescues him from the lion's den, but there was consequences for disobeying the authority that was over him Uh, but he didn't obey that law. Another one in Daniel, by the way, is Rackshack and Benny. Those are are my nicknames. Actually, it's not my nicknames. It's VeggieTales nicknames. I remember a VeggieTales video on on this. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And if you recall that story, they were told to bow down to the golden statue that Nebuchadnezzar had set up. 
And they said, no, we're not going to serve your gods nor worship the image of gold that you had set up. To them, too, it didn't end up very well. Um, They were thrown into the fiery furnace. Once again, God rescues them, but there was consequences, right? Now, Acts chapter 5 has the last one I want to talk about. This is a case, I, you know, I've read this story often over decades. I never thought that it would be so applicable to me in the United States of America, but it is. It's really becoming much more applicable to Christians in our day, this event that happened 2,000 years ago. So Peter and the apostles are preaching in the name of Jesus. They, the authorities don't like them doing that, so they're brought before them. They're beaten and flogged, and they said, don't preach in this name anymore. They go out and they do it again. They preach in the name of Jesus, so they're brought back. I want to pick it up in verse 27 in Acts chapter 5. The apostles were brought in and made to appear before the Sanhedrin to be questioned by the high priest. We gave you strict orders not to teach in this name, yet you filled Jerusalem with your teaching and are determined to make us guilty of this man's blood. Peter and the other apostles replied, We must obey God rather than men. The God of our ancestors raised Jesus from the dead, whom you killed by hanging him on the cross. God exalted him to his own right hand as prince and savior, that we might bring Israel to repentance and forgive their sins. Now, the Sanhedrin didn't like that, and they were about to kill them. And they were going to meet a similar fate of Daniel and and Shadrach and Meshach and Abednego. Uh, But once again, God preserves them. Another Sanhedrin member stands up and says, wait a minute, guys, I don't know if you want to do this or not, because if this is from God, uh, you would be basically destroying what God was doing. If it's not from God, it's going to fade away. But if it is, you better watch out. So they let them go, and they continue to preach in the name of Jesus. As my good friend, uh, a missions pastor at my home church, his name is Dave, says, what was the first century's mission and evangelism plan, take their hands away from their mouths. Because scripture says that we cannot help speak about what we've seen and what we've heard. They couldn't couldn't help themselves, could they? They couldn't. So in this case, they listened to God and not to man. So what do all three of these instances have in common about obeying God? Does Does it say anything about wearing masks? Now, I don't like to wear masks. But that's the law of the land, right? Mm -hmm. There's an executive order from our governor that has the weight of law that says I need to wear a mask in in public uh, when I go into a restaurant or wherever. So I wear a mask, right? Uh, Because that's the law of the land. Um, You know, the speed limit. I obey every speed limit on every road I ever drive on. (laughs) Well, okay. Okay. Uh, Maybe not. Um, But I I stay within a certain percentage. Right. Right. Um, but we should be those types of citizens mm-hmm. who are uh, honoring the king in all that we do and all that we say. And where the king orders us to not pray, to bow down to a false god, to not preach in the name of Jesus any, any longer, that's when the righteous say, nope, I'm going to obey God rather than men. Great teaching, Jeff. Sure enjoyed this. It's a great reminder of what it means to be an ambassador for Christ. And you've given us so many great points, 12 of them in total. If you want to 
If you missed any of this, I'm pretty sure you're going to want to start over. Go to MyFaithRadio.com and then check it out on the show page, talking about the characteristics of being an ambassador. did a beautiful job of laying this out. Thank you once again for being on the show. You bet, Bill. Enjoy the cold. Uh, Thank you very much. Enjoy the warm. All right. Jeff Redorn's been my guest. That wraps up our show for the day. And thank you for listening. Thank you for uh, being part of these two hours. I hope you have learned a lot. I hope the teaching has been good. I hope uh, you have felt discipled and you feel encouraged and you have realized that God loves you more today than you realized yesterday. And I hope you have a good night's sleep. Let that beautiful slumber restore your body and your mind and your heart. And we'll do this again tomorrow around the same time. Uh, It's going to be a wonderful uh, day tomorrow. I'm going to have uh, my prayer series continue with Dr. Peter Kapsner in the second hour. So it's going to be a, a great show all the way around. We'll see you tomorrow. Thanks for listening. Programming like this is made available through your support. Information available at MyFaithRadio.com.